alihi wa sahbihi wa man walah thumma amma ba'd as folks trickle in we have to start on standard time you did need to make some housekeeping announcements right so how about if we wait till more people come in so more people hear them inshallah okay that's fine that's probably like 10 20 minutes and then we'll, I'll give you time okay uh, there's some uh, uh, while the screen is switching and you'll see some notes on the screen uh, there's something I wanted to talk to you guys about some leftovers from last night there's some leftovers from last night that I wanted to finish up uh, in regards to the Fatiha that I think are important enough points that uh, we should at least make some mention of them before we go on for today's material. Uh, the first leftover is a conversation that I left halfway and that was uh, the balance between human effort and Allah's help. We talked about different kinds of balance in the Fatiha, right? And one of them that I kind of only half talked about was the balance between human effort and Allah's help. Uh, in other words, the human, human beings are in a position to get the help of Allah when they first put in their own effort. They can't just ask Allah for help without putting any effort in themselves. They're not qualified to. But there's the other extreme. That's one extreme that I did talk about. The other extreme that I didn't talk about is on the other end of that spectrum. When a human being believes that they can accomplish anything they want just because of their efforts. They don't need Allah's help. I can get a job because I'm very smart and I have a very impressive resume and I put in a lot of work in schooling and I, I did great in the interview. There's no reason I shouldn't get the job. I can accomplish whatever I can in my business, in my career, in my, in my family life or whatever else because of my own qualifications. This, a sampling of that attitude in the Quran, a few people have been mentioned, but a good sampling of that is a guy named Qarun. Qarun is basically a certain character in the Quran that's very confident about what he can accomplish based on his own efforts. I mean, the way he's described really is essentially a guy that makes some very good investment decisions, right? You could say he took care, took advantage of the market at the right time. And so he, he uh, made a way very, very good, very well for himself. And at the end of it all, if you ask him, how did you accomplish all this success? You know how we do this nowadays in contemporary times? People have these TV interviews about how did you become so successful? And they'll tell you their life story, and they'll tell you this is what I did, and this is what I did, I made these smart moves here and there and there, and let me tell you guys now how to be successful. Right? There's a lot of this like become a success programs nowadays, right? They'll teach you how to be, not be a loser. Guess what, what kind of people it attracts? <laughs> Losers, right? So they go and let me, let me go learn from that winner how not to be a loser, etc. But the idea is I accomplished this because of knowledge that I possess. إِنَّمَا أُتِيتُهُ عَلَىٰ عِلْمٍ عِنْدِي I only acquired this because of knowledge that I possess, expertise, qualifications, credentials. You know, that's smart moves that I made. That's what got me here. Nothing else. This is the only reason that got me here. Well, that doesn't answer the question. There are so many people, for example, a lot of you, alhamdulillah, have jobs. There are people that are much smarter than you that don't have jobs. That are much more qualified than you and I am that don't have those opportunities. There are people that are, you know, uh, there are people that are much less qualified than you are. They have much less of an education than you do, and yet they enjoy way more worldly success than you ever have. It's just a fact of life. These distributions, they're only partly as a result of our effort. I'm not saying our efforts aren't important, but the other necessary ingredient is the help and the will of Allah. Our part is the effort, Allah's part is the results. So we don't believe that our efforts give the results, but we also don't believe that without our efforts, results will come anyway. 
You see how those two, they get, those two ideas get married to each other, and you can't separate the two. And this is basically the teachings of, the, one of the fundamental teachings of the Prophet Efforts, Allah's help will not change, Allah's help will not come until we see some effort in you, some work in you. To the point where even Allah says, "In Very famously quoted ayah. If you turn away, if you don't show any change in behavior, we'll replace you with another nation. Allah just said it flat out. Flat out. Now the thing is, you would think Allah is talking to you and me. When the Quran was originally revealed, who was it talking to? Sahaba. Even they were told, you don't show results, I'll replace you with somebody else. Yastabdul qawman ghayrakum. And they won't be like you. In other words, they'll put themselves to work. I'll give them results because they'll be putting themselves to work and applying themselves. Let me switch this over. Hopefully it works. So that's one leftover from yesterday. A couple more quick leftovers from yesterday. There are two ways of looking at the conclusion of the surah. I didn't mention that last night. There are two distinct ways of observing the ending of Surah Al-Fatiha. The second way, or the two ways of looking at it, what I mean by that is, I'll give you a rough translation of the conclusion of the Fatiha. We read, the path of those you showered favor upon, I'm giving you a shallow translation now, the path of those you showered favor upon, not those that earned rage, nor the lost. That's, kind, that's roughly what I was trying to say, right? Now, that's one way of looking at it. And when you look at it that way, how many groups of people are being talked about? There's three. The ones you showered favor upon, group one. The ones who earned rage, group two. And the ones who got lost, group three. That makes you feel like there are three distinct groups. There's another grammatical way of looking at the same thing, where it's actually the whole thing is talking about one group. Where the entire text is talking not about three groups, but about one group. I'll try to say that in English that may be a little bit easier to understand. The path of those you showered favor upon, while at the same time they didn't end up earning rage, and at the same time they didn't get lost. So they got your favor and they didn't mess that favor up one of two ways. They didn't end up earning rage and they didn't get lost. So one way of looking at it is three distinct groups. Another way of looking at it is one group that, did, that got Allah's favor and then didn't mess it up two ways. The two, two ways of messing up is either you earn rage or you get lost, right? Now what's the benefit of knowing that? What's the point of knowing there's one group versus three groups? And why are both of them important? On the one hand, these are three distinct groups and that's important. But if you only take it that way, you might even assume, yeah, Allah just decided some people should be favored, and Allah just decided some people should get rage, and other people should get lost. So you just, it is what it is, you know, you got three groups, they each go their own way, that's life. Rather, Allah also says at the same time, the fact of the matter is, every single human being on the earth was originally favored, was shown guidance. There was not a nation left, not a single nation left, not a single ethnicity left, that Allah did not send a messenger to. He said that himself, I'm not saying that Allah did. We didn't send a single messenger except in the language of his people. All peoples, all nations, they were sent a messenger. In other words, Allah favored all of humanity. Allah gave the favor of guidance to all of humanity. 
But then that, those, those groups of humanity messed up in one of two ways. What are those two ways? Either they knowingly did the wrong thing, or they didn't appreciate the knowledge and became ignorant, and as a result got lost. They, either they, they, al-mahlub alayhim or al-ballin. You understand that point? So that's a second important observation about the conclusion. Then the, the third thing that you can't see on the screen yet, the possible progression at the end. And that's also a really important observation about al-mahlub alayhim wal al-ballin. Allah mentions those who receive rage first, and then He mentions those who are lost. You know, in the Qur'an we learn that if you make Allah angry, or if people make Allah angry, the worst thing, the worst punishment that can happen in this world is that the most important gift that humanity should get is taken away. According to this surah, what is the most beneficial gift humanity can enjoy? Guidance. guidance. What is the opposite of guidance? Being lost. Guidance means you have directions. Being lost means you don't have directions. So the extreme opposite of having guidance is not earning rage. The extreme opposite end of it is being lost. Someone lost clearly has, has missed out on guidance. They don't have guidance. What, the, by, what I mean by progression is if there's a group of people that chooses continually to make Allah angry, then Allah will give them the worst possible punishment in this world, and that punishment eventually will be that they, even if they want to, they can't find their way back because now they are lost. It's like saying, somebody, Allah gave us directions, and we toyed around with those directions. We toyed around with, you know, took a left turn here, left turn there, ah, I can get back, I can, it's no big deal. I'm not going that far off. And you toyed with it enough that Allah removed the map altogether. Go ahead now. So it's the worst thing. It's like the, the progression from Al-Mahdub Alayhim to Al-Ba'alim, where you can't even find your way back anymore. That's that progression that's also important to observe in these ayat. In other words, for Muslims, a lot, most of the time, there's two kinds of Muslims, and that's actually the fourth leftover from yesterday. There's two kinds of Muslims that mess up. I'm not talking about Jews and Christians, I'm talking about us, Muslims. There's Muslims who do the wrong thing, even though they know it's the wrong thing. That includes you and me. We do the wrong thing even though we know it's the wrong thing. We, we lose our temper even though we know we shouldn't. We go into a business transaction even though we know we shouldn't. We procrastinate our hajj even though we know we shouldn't. We put things off where we do things that we know we're not supposed to do, we do them anyway. When somebody does the wrong thing knowingly, what term is used in the Fatiha for that? Al-Mahdub alayhim. Then there's a huge population of Muslims. You'll find them, even the few things they do know, they don't do. And as a result, you know what happens? In all of their other religious practices, they're totally lost. They don't even know what they're doing. They have no idea what the prayer is about. They have no idea what to do in Ramadan. They start making stuff up. They just start making it out of thin air. It's just what we do. And if you ask, where do you get this from? You're like, I don't know, that's, that's how you're supposed to do it, I guess. It just becomes a completely a religion of the lost. Entirely. But where did it start? It started with disobedience, knowing disobedience, and then it, it, it deteriorates and gets mutated, and eventually you get to a point where people are you know, doing things they don't even know why. 
Are there great numbers of Muslims in the Ummah today that engage in practices, rituals, ceremonies, traditions, whether they've added those traditions to our acts of worship, or they've added those traditions to wedding ceremonies, or birth ceremonies, or you know, funerals, and things like that, that just have absolutely nothing to do with the original teachings of the religion. Has that happened? Sure. Totally lost. People are doing all kinds of crazy things. A friend of mine recently went to Pakistan. And, you know, he got sick because, not because there were jinn on him, but because it's really, it was really polluted. But of course, that's not what his uncles thought. It was because there's evil eyes on him and we have to get him purified or whatever. So they took him to this shrine. Okay, so this is a, 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 a scholar or a worshipper of back in the day, Zahid, who passed away and they made a whole shrine on top of his grave. And people go there and they make du'as there. He gets there and like, looks like a masjid. So maybe you can take me to a masjid. That's, a, that's cool. Goes inside, it's a big giant grave. It's covered in green. People are making sajda to it. People are singing songs. People are crying. All kinds of weird stuff's happening. Is this a Hindu temple? What is this? So he asked the dude next to him, why are you making sajda towards that grave? They almost killed him. They're not ready to sit and discuss this with you. They almost gave the Ibrahim salam response. You know, Ibrahim asked his people the question, what are you doing? You know what they said? Burn him alive. <laughs> I'll tell you what we're doing. We're making barbecue. <laughs> that's... A, that's Immediate response. There's no reasoning or rationale necessary. That's the point some Muslims have reached. It's very unfortunate. What I'm trying to say is these two ayat, these two words, al-Maghdub alayhim and al when we hear them, we shouldn't think about non-Muslims first. We should think about ourselves. Where do I personally fall? Where's my family heading? How do I stay away from these things? And I should add, there's two mistakes an average Muslim makes when it comes to criticism. The first mistake is we think of other nations and not our own nation. And the second mistake is we think of other people in our nation, not our own selves. Right? We, th we think of people in other countries or other territories or whatever, and yes, sometimes they're bad examples. But who should we con be concerned with primarily? I should be concerned with myself, my family, my uncle, my cousin, my grandfather, my, my mother, my father. I have enough people within my immediate circle to worry about that are doing plenty of bad things that I should skip over that and worry about the rest of the Ummah. Right? And so you'll find that. You'll find, uh, especially young people, uh, because we'll get fired up about the religion, right? And when you're young, you think you can change the world. And you bring that attitude to Islam too, like, we're young, we're going to change the world. We're going to talk about the, the corruption, the political corruption, the economic corruption, the social injustices. And we're going to give hot air speeches about them. And we're going to do protests in front of embassies about these things. Yeah. But when it comes to your own family, there's things happening and you don't want to deal with it. And your way of not dealing with it is go do a protest about someone you don't know. Don't deal with what you have in front of you. We have to kind of come back to reality a little bit and deal with the situation at hand. But I, by the way, and this is a side tr transgression, but I'll just make comment about it and move on with the seminar. You know, our families are the hardest people to deal with. And it's not fun. It is not fun. I have, uh, my daughter's here somewhere. Where are you? I see you. There you are. Okay. My family would have a really hard time sitting through like eight hours of a seminar with me. It's probably not going to happen. 
Probably not even, she's going to get some good sleep today. I know it. It's just dad. He talks all the time. For her, the mic never turns off. Right? <laughs> right? So it's just you. For the Prophet, people will come from Persia to listen to him. But his own family doesn't want to hear him. His own uncle says, get out of here, I don't want to hear you. His own, his own family is disregarding him. That's the nature of family. They don't value who you are. They're not going to sit there and tell me more. I have some more questions for you. Nobody has questions. Because your family, you're not, a, you're not a big deal to them. That's where your sincerity in religion is really tested. Are you willing to be patient and make da'wah to your own family? It's easy to talk to strangers. It's hard to talk to our own family. So those are a few leftovers that I wanted to make mention of from last night.